morning, everybody. My name is uh, Jerry. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, when Rick uh, called me about 12 months ago, I guess he, to, he must have taken the infectious disease from Bill H. at that stage, uh, being compulsive, uh, to see if I would give this talk. I said, sure, no problem. Uh, when I was here Friday night at the uh, Friday night dinner with the newcomers, and I looked at the brochure and said the Great Hall, and then I looked at where I was going to give my talk on Sunday, and I looked at how many people were here Friday night, I thought, it's not such a good idea. Uh, I will, it's a case, when in the program we talk about, um, there are no coincidences, or no accidents. And in my own development spiritually within the program of AA, I um, took a lo long time for me to arrive at the stage where I honestly believed in that statement that there are no coincidences. It's kind of a co it's, it's a message to me, I guess, when I was here this week, is that in this very hotel back in 1967 through 1969, I was stationed here in Boca Raton as, at that time when I was active as a Catholic priest in the parish. One of my duties was to say Mass in this hotel every Sunday morning at 6 o'clock. Uh, now, Sunday is the day when most priests have to work at least one day a week or half a day. Uh, and But the unfortunate thing for me is my alcoholism was rapidly progressing at the time and Saturday night was when most people partied and I liked to party. So a lot of times uh, coming here at 6 o'clock on a Sunday morning was hangover time and believe me the talks at the homilies were very short and brief. Uh, by the time I'm finished this morning, some of you may say, I wish he had a hangover this morning. <laughs> uh, so, uh, do you all hear me back in the back? Okay, I did notice I didn't ask if you understood me. I said, did you hear me? Uh, we Irish can't help but if the rest of the world doesn't speak English properly. Okay. Uh, when I myself got into recovery some almost 16 years ago, and looking back in retrospect whenever I give my story at AA meetings, uh, I'm always struck by the fact that when I look back in my life and my alcoholism and the development of my alcoholism, and that the real damage done was not really physical, even though that at the time was pretty serious but the real damage done by my alcoholism and was the destruction of my spiritual life. That by the time I came to treatment and went to treatment, I remember very well getting on the plane at Miami Airport to go to Guest House in Rochester, Minnesota, which was a treatment center for priests. And I was feeling totally depressed. I honestly believed that there is no way that I'm going to get sober. I was going to treatment because there was an intervention done by some friends and, and this is where I was being sent. But I didn't know anything better to do except to do it. But through my introduction to AA, I began to develop some hope and some faith and some belief that I could get well. 
but when I see other people over the years that I counsel and deal with, I'm always struck by the sense of emptiness and that despair that we reach towards the end of our addictions. And so while all of you here this morning, or most of you here this morning, are in the field of medicine and deal a lot with the physical, some of you with the psychological, the reality is that it's very easy for us, comparatively speaking, to restore the physical health of the addicted person. But the real, the real repair, the real healing has to be spiritual. And that is what recovery is all about. The, I think the program of Alcoholics Anonymous has been so successful and is successful simply because it understood addictions better than anybody ever did before it or ever will again. For many, many centuries, medicine, indeed psychiatry, has dealt with addictions. But nobody has treated addictions like Alcoholics Anonymous has with the same success. And the answer to why Alcoholics Anonymous is so successful is very simple, in line with its own program of simplicity, is that it realized that the damage done was not, real damage done was not physical, but the real damage done was spiritual. All of you here last night heard Bob S. talk about the founding of Alcoholics Anonymous, and no doubt that these men in the early days of Alcoholics Anonymous had tried many, many times to get sober, had many, many times been detoxed. All of you know the story of Bill W. where he was given up for hopeless. And they began to realize that the difference this time around, when they came to write the 12 steps, was that they had done something different. That this time they had got in contact with their spiritual nature and that they began to heal themselves spiritually. And that is where the 12 steps come from. If it was the physical recovery alone, then all we would need is step one. We would not need the other 11 steps. But the other 11 steps, if you never knew anything about alcoholism and were to read them, you would have no idea that this is a program dealing with addictions. And therefore, Alcoholics Anonymous is successful and proves to be successful because it realized that the true way to recovery, true sobriety, is true the spirituality development in our lives. In the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, there's a lot of us, and I hear a lot of us, and myself many times, sometimes we become confused about the whole area of spirituality, and a lot of times this is our own fault because I think we overcomplicate what we defend against the truth. Sometimes we overcomplicate those issues and make them difficult because we do not want to face the truth about them. And a lot of times we fail to see and fail to look at the sources which will help us to understand what spirituality is all about and what the spiritual life is all about. I think as if you go back time after time, my own experience is that I keep coming back to the big books of Alcoholics Anonymous because I realize that time after time after time, the answer to so many of the spiritual areas of my life are found in the big book. 
I could not be struck, but within the past week at the 7 o'clock meeting over on the beach, the spiritual pro uh, meeting of AA, the amount of people who showed up at 7 o'clock in the morning, and that we did some readings from the big book, and that all the answers that most of us would ever require for the development of our spiritual life is found in the big book. And in page 83 of the big book it says, the spiritual life is not a theory, we have to live it. And in appendices two of the big book, there's a page and a half there entitled Spiritual Awakening and Spiritual Experience. And it says that the essence of spiritual experience is the development of a God consciousness in our life. That the essence of spiritual experience is the development of the God consciousness in our life. Given all of that, a lot of times we struggle with asking ourselves, what is spirituality? And how do I know that I am spiritual? And how do I know if I am making any progress in my spiritual life? These are questions all of us ask ourselves many times. One way of looking that I look at spirituality is that I don't go to the books of theology and philosophy, which I am very familiar with, but I go to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and try and keep it as simple as I can. I understand spirituality in this sense of it is the ability that I have to be able to relate to myself and to others and to the God of my understanding. And I relate to myself and to others and to the God of my understanding and through my attitudes and my behaviors. And I understand spirituality to be lived out in terms of my everyday relationships. That when I look back at my alcoholism and my addictions, I begin to realize that my addiction and my alcoholism is the one thing that separated me from myself, it separated me from others, and it separated me from the God of my understanding. And that recovery, which is what spirituality is all about, is to restore that relationship with myself, my relationship with others, and relationship with the God of my understanding. And that if I want to measure by, to see if I'm making any spiritual progress or the state of my spirituality, all I need to do is look at those three relationships in my life. And if those three relationships are healthy, and I am making progress in those three relationships, then I know I am developing spiritually. As I begin to understand myself and become aware of myself, and change what I need to change in my life, and then I know I am getting more spiritual. And as I look at my relationships with those around me, those close to me, and those who I'm friends with, and those with whom I work, and if I realize that through my daily life, I understand them, I'm able to work with them, I am caring about them, and so I even tolerate them, then I know I am making progress spiritually. And as I look at God and my relationship with God, and through my recovery and my 
coming into the Alcoholics Anonymous program, I know my relationship with God has changed drastically. And I know that the God I believe in keeps changing. And this may seem like craziness because my theology change tells me God is immutable and God doesn't change. But God changes for me because as I grow spiritually and get to know him more, and then he changes. And my relationship with him changes. And it's constantly changing. And it's never static. Because he lets himself known to me and becomes known to me and reveals himself to me in different ways and in different places and through different people on a daily basis. Because I think and through this program and through our spiritual development, we have eyes in that see and we have ears in that hear and we have hearts that are open. When our alcoholism was part of our life, we had eyes that could not see, we had ears that could not hear, and we had hearts that were closed. And that was denial. So therefore, when I want to use step 10 and check in my growth spiritually, I check those three relationships in my life. And as I begin to try and live those relationships, I know that there are four made movements as I struggle spiritually. That being spiritual and being recovering then is the ability to be able to relate to others, to myself and to God. Therefore every one of us here this morning is spiritual. By the very fact that I'm alive, I have to relate to myself, to others and to God. I have to. But the very fact that we're alive, we're human, we're spiritual. A lot of times I see people struggle with spiritual because they think they cannot be spiritual. We are all spiritual. By the very fact that we're alive and we're human, we're spiritual. That's what spirituality is. But the question becomes, is my spirituality negative or positive? Because when my addictions was ripe, my spirituality was negative because that's how I related to those three relationships in life. And when my relationships, when my addiction is positive, it means that I am relating positively in these three relationships. So we are all spiritual. The question becomes, what is the state of our spirituality? It's like health. Spirituality is a state. It's not something that I do. I do spiritual things. But spirituality is a state. For the sake of analogy, we talk about having health and being a healthy person. And the healthy person does healthy things. Spirituality is a state in which I do spiritual things. And then we know that our health can go up and down and our health can change. A state of health, so can the state of our spirituality change. And to me, there are four basic movements from negative spirituality to positive spirituality. And those are the movement from fear to trust, the movement from self-pity to gratitude, and the movement from resistance a resentment to acceptance, and the movement from dishonesty to honesty. Because these four areas play such a large part in the quality of those three relationships. 
The movement from fear to trust. The movement from self-pity to gratitude. The movement from resentment to acceptance and from dishonesty to honesty. When we look at fears in our life, I'm firmly convinced that the enemy, the chief enemy of our spiritual growth is fear. We can talk about many emotions and many feelings in life, but there are two basic feelings, are two basic fear and love. Everything else springs, I believe, from fear and love. And that the chief block to our own spiritual development is the issue of fear. And you look at yourself and you ask yourself, what are your fears? Sometimes we have the fear of getting to know ourselves. Sometimes we have the fear of other people knowing us who we truly are. Sometimes we have the fear of not measuring up. Sometimes we have the fear of success and the fear of failures. And our lives become riddled with fear and anxiety. And we have fears of God. We have a lot of fears of God because we don't understand who God is. A lot of us have images and conceptions of God. He may be the blackjack dealer. You know who the blackjack dealer in Las Vegas, those of you who have gambling addictions. Uh, the blackjack dealer hands out to one nineteen, to another twenty-one, to another blackjack, to another twelve. And time and time in our lives we may feel angry with God because he deals us the wrong hand in life. We get very angry with him. And we see him as dealing out hard luck and pain to other people because we don't understand who God is. God has nothing to do with pain. God has nothing to do with misfortune. The pains and misfortunes in our life are man-made and due to our own self-will and self-will of other people. But yet we attribute all of these to God and get very angry with it. For many of us through our upbringing we see God as a judge. Somebody who is going to, at the end of time, be our judge. And when you look, some of us see God as a policeman who is constantly watching over us and waiting to pounce on us. Some of us see God as an aspirin, a quick fix. We got a headache, we got to take it. And some of us rush to God to take away our pain and give us a quick fix. And some of us see God as Santa Claus as bringing us gifts. And that we don't have to do anything. And that God will do it all. You know, when we, some people do good and they say, well, I didn't do anything or I had nothing to do with it, God did it. That type of approach to God is very dangerous because what we're really doing is we're tempting God. We want to test him, as it were, to see if he does good through us, and if he doesn't, then we blame him for it. So therefore, through our upbringing, a lot of us never work through the images we have of God. A lot of times I do exercise with people to take them back to their childhood and see the image they have of God, because intellectually they tell me God is loving, and God is caring, and God is this, and God is all-seeing, and God is all-knowing. But when you really ask them what they really believe, and you take them back into some imagery they have of God, 
is usually one of fear. And they have images of what I already talked about. And I ask you if your God is a God of fear or any of those, then how do we practice step three? How do you turn your life and will over to the care of a God whom you fear? Okay. Because we must get rid of the fears in our life. We must be able to manage the fears in our life. We must be able to manage trust. We must develop a sense of faith and trust in ourselves, in the people we live with, and in the God of our understanding. There has to be that movement from fear to trust. And for all of us, developing a sense of trust is the most difficult task in our spiritual growth. Because trust and faith involves a risk. And some of us believe that because if we have faith, we're going to be comfortable. But if you understand faith in its proper sense, it means that you're taking a risk. And for me personally, risks are not comfortable. As a matter of fact, they're very uncomfortable. So therefore, my faith may make me uncomfortable. And a lot of us say we trust God. But the reality is, if I don't trust those around me, then I really don't trust God. If I don't trust my sponsor, if I don't trust the people in my meetings, if I don't trust those who are close to me, then I don't trust myself, and then I don't trust God. If, am I, if I am afraid to share, if I am afraid to trust others to help me, if I am afraid to trust that others will accept me for what I am despite what I do, then I don't trust. And if I don't trust, I will isolate. And I will go back into myself. And I will not have any sense of a spiritual relationship with myself and with others at the God of my understanding. So therefore, we must risk. And that is very, very difficult for many of us. I like to tell the story about what risk is all about, what trust is all about. In the story at the uh, Niagara Falls, any of you who've been there know what a tremendous sight it is. It's awesome. And they tell the story of the guy who put a rope, a tight rope across the Niagara Falls and got a wheelbarrow and he walked across the tightrope with the wheelbarrow in front of him. When he got to the other side, the audience clapped and he turned around and he said, does anybody believe that I can do the same thing going back? One guy said, sure. He says, I believe it. He said, would you like to hop in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> All right. There is a difference between intellectual faith and truly trusting. This is the type of trust. This is the type of trust. And this is the risk we need to take in step three. And that is the key to our program. And that is the key to the serenity that we seek. Because if we truly trust, if we truly believe that we trust God, if we truly trust in the God of our understanding, then we will take risks. Then we won't have all these fears. We will have them, but they won't cripple us. That's a good test for yourself. How much are we prepared to risk? How much do I risk with myself to get to know myself, to change myself, to look at myself? How many of us spend some time in step 10 and 11? How many of us start our day in quiet meditation? In those moments when the truth about ourselves comes up, 
In those moments when we feel uneasy, and we really don't want to hear what those inner voices are saying. I don't mean paranoia. A lot of times we keep busy. We may get up in the morning and jog, not there's anything wrong with that. We turn on the TV, we keep the radio on all day, we read the newspapers, we read our books, but we never spend time truly with ourselves because I honestly believe that sometimes we know if we're alone with that moments of quiet long enough and that we might face the truth about ourselves and what's going on in our lives. And that we defended ourselves by keeping busy about many things. So therefore that ability to be able to risk, that is the faith we're talking about. It's easy to intellectually believe in God. I intellectually believed in God. I could give you all the theology you needed to know and all the philosophy in God. But I never trusted God. And I didn't realize that till I got sober. I didn't realize that I never truly believed deep down in my gut that God loved me and that I could trust him. I had an intellectual exercise. But when I got well through my alcoholism, when I experienced recovery through my alcoholism, because I honestly believed I never could, then I knew that God loved me because I had experienced it in my recovery from alcoholism. God came to me through my sickness as he comes to many of us through our sickness. Because there is a difference between somebody telling you that they love you, but until you experience it, you will never truly believe it. And for all of us who are in recovery, if we had never needed any measurement of God's love for us, then all we need to do is know that sitting here this morning, we are all miracles of his love. And that we should be able to trust. And we should be able to risk. And we shouldn't be in agony and fears and anxiety about tomorrow. And that we shouldn't be living in the guilt and the shame of the past. That we should live with the full belief in that whatever is going to happen, it's going to be all right. And that's not escaping reality. Because if anything, our God has to be a God of reality and not a God of escapism. Okay. We also need to move from that whole area of self-pity to the area of gratitude. So much of our life is concerned with, with has-beens and what-ifs. And if only it had been different. And we waste so much energy and so much time in what-ifs and feeling sorry for ourselves that we forget and have a do not have a sense of gratitude. And for many of us, being good alcoholics, we want to be grateful for something great. It's all or nothing. We're waiting for something marvelous to happen so we can be grateful. But the reality is at the end of each day, we need to ask ourselves, what am I grateful for today? We need to remember and some of us have great difficulty in being grateful because we have great difficulty in being grateful about the obstacles in our life. How many of us are grateful for the obstacles that come in our way? How many of us are grateful for the pains in our life? Because the reality is that for many of us, 
We came to the God of our understanding and we came to our spiritual life through pain. None of us, I would safely say, at least those of us who are alcoholics, would be sitting here this morning were it not for the pain of our alcoholism. And we came to a different life. We came to a different understanding of God through our pain. We need to make pain our friend and not our enemy. Not that we go looking for it. Believe me, it will come. And therefore, we need to be grateful for the obstacles and for the pains in our life because this is how we grow. It's not the only way, but it's one of the ways. And for some of us, that's what it takes. That we will never move to the next stage until this stage becomes painful enough. We need to look at the resentments in our life and be able to move from resentments to acceptance. We all struggle with resentments and the greatest lie of all is those who say we have no resentments. We all have resentments, we have them every day. We sometimes resent having to go to meetings. We sometimes resent the struggles we have to do to get sober. We resent the work we have to do at our working on ourselves and other relationships in our lives. We have all kinds of resentments. And we need to be able to deal with those resentments, with those angers, if we are to grow spiritually. I'm often struck at meetings by people referring to themselves as recovering Catholics or recovering Baptists or whatever. The reality is, unless we can let go of our resentments against our religion, we never grow spiritually. And because the resentments are often tied in with resentments against God, even though we don't know it. And we need to treat these resentments the same as we treat resentments against any person. We need to let go of our resentments. We need to let go of our anger. We cannot be spiritual in our relationships with ourselves and with others if we have these resentments and anger. So we need to move to acceptance, to be able to accept life as it is, not as we would like it to be. And that seems so simple, but yet it's so difficult. We need to be able to let go of the controls so that we don't have to manage persons, places and things to be what we want them to be. Because when we need to control life, then we do not have any faith, we do not have any trust, and we do not take any risk. Otherwise, why would I need to control? I control because I'm scared. I control because I have those fears that I talked about. And because I do not have faith, and I do not trust. That's why I control. I want my partner to be what I want them to be. I want life around me to be the way I want it to be. I want myself to be the way I want myself to be, not the way others around me who are a mirror to me would like me to be. And I want God to be there the way I want him to be there. In short, I want life on my terms, not on its own terms. One of the hardest lessons for me in my recovery was letting go of control. 
the need to manage life. And it took me many, many years to realize that I needed to manage life because I was scared. I was scared that it wouldn't be the way I wanted it to be. That relationships wouldn't be the way I wanted them to be. And that people might leave me. And I wanted security, so therefore I would manage life to be the way it was to be secure. But you know what? All my best efforts failed. And when it became painful enough, then I began to face deep down inside and knew that the greatest obstacle to my own recovery was not the alcohol that was many years behind me, but my fears. Fears of the unknown and fears of the known. And it led me to a new sense of trust in the God of my understanding. I still have fears, I still have anxieties, but they don't cripple me. They don't stop me from taking risks. They don't stop me from trusting the God of my understanding. And they don't keep me awake at night. That's the difference between being spiritual and not being spiritual. And we need to move from that area of dishonesty to honesty. All of us, one of the first lessons we learn in recovery is the need to be honest. But the honesty we talk about in recovery goes far beyond cash register honesty. It's that ability to be open, to have eyes that see, see yourself for what you are. The eyes that are not afraid to look deep down inside, to have ears that hear, to listen to those deep inner voices and take the time to listen to what they're telling you about yourself and your life. And to have eyes and ears to hear what God is telling you. Because he speaks to each of us. Not in any dramatic fashion, but he speaks to us through other people in our lives. And he speaks to us through the life events. I said in the beginning that I've come to believe there are no coincidences. And that's what faith does. And that's what spirituality does. It helps me to see life in a different way. That there is a kind of a thread that goes through life. I remember just three weeks ago, time after time, when we were able to see things in a different light, things take on different meanings. And we grow from them. I remember about three weeks ago, somebody came to me to talk, some guy I sponsored in the program, about some issue he had to deal with, and it's for months, for six months, I've been struggling with the same issue myself. And I hated it. And for that one moment, as he talked to me about what he was struggling with, and I was able to help and reach out to him and share with him, then I knew there was a purpose why I was experiencing that pain in my life myself. There was a time when I would hate that. There was a time when I would see no purpose in it. There would be a time when I wouldn't accept it but resent it. There would be a time when I couldn't look honestly at it. There would be a time when I would be self-pity rather than gratitude. And there would be a time when I would fear it, so much so that I would deny it. So therefore, as we go through life and try and develop a sense of spirituality, do not complicate it. Realize that it has to do with 
the three basic relationships in life. It's very easy to measure your spirituality, is to look at where do we live out our spiritual life. We live out our spiritual life in our relationship with myself, my relationship with others, and my relationship with the God of my understanding. And I live out that relationship through my attitudes and through my behaviors. And if I want to look at how positive or what growth I'm making, then that's how we measure it and how we apply the 12 steps, and especially step three and step 10 and 11 to those three relationships in our life. Again, I would like to thank the IDA for this wonderful week and the opportunity I had here with you. I was very, very impressed, and as a matter of fact, it's sometimes overwhelmed by the sense of spiritual development that I saw in some of the people at the meetings. I was in especially at one meeting, I think it was Thursday night, about how to deal with your boards and your bosses and whatever and how to apply the program to your life. And I, I couldn't be struck with some of the horror stories and the pain and the misfortunes that some people have to experience. But it was gratifying and it was actually uplifting to hear how people were able to deal with those things in their life through this program. How much they had grown spiritually in their relationship with those whom we would like to have removed from our life. There is a purpose why these people are in our life. There was a time when I believed that the bishop should be removed from my life. Uh, I'm sure he honestly believed I should be removed from his life. Uh, now I see things different. And that's because of this program and the spirituality of the program. You know, we talk about the spiritual part of the program, but the reality is there is only one program. There is not two programs. Sometimes when we listen, you get the impression there's two programs. There's a spiritual program and the other program. And people say, I have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Well, if we got difficulty with the spirituality of the program, my friends, we got difficulty with the program. There is only one program, and it's a spiritual program. Okay. I would like to close, in a rather fitting manner, I guess, with an Irish blessing for you all as you leave here this morning. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm on your face. The rains fall softly upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. God bless you all.